We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode. I am your host, Josh Nelson, as we are recording on Wednesday night, February 1st, 2023, as we're just a couple weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training. And the Chicago White Sox are adding another pitcher to the 40-man roster. We'll talk about A.J. Alexei later in the show. Plus, the sportsbooks have released their preseason win totals. Where do the White Sox project according to Vegas? And there's going to be a new attraction coming to Bridgeport that could be of great interest for White Sox fans. So let's get started with this episode. As Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and we're going to start... With something that's been on my mind this week, Jim, as we are seeing top 100 prospect lists released across the board, and most recently for The Athletic, for Keith Law, and for ESPN, Kylie McDaniel, and here is where I was once confident, not that long ago, and now I'm a bit worried, is Oscar Colas is not in either of their top 100 lists. Colson Montgomery's gotten very favorable reviews. Like, if you want to get hyped as a White Sox fan, Jim, go read what Keith Law and Kylie McDaniel have to say when it comes to Colson Montgomery. I mean, Colson Montgomery's a top 25 prospect, according to Keith Law and Kylie McDaniel, which is awesome. We see Brian Ramos in the top 100 on the ESPN list, which is terrific. But no Oscar Colas. And now where I thought that he was a top 100 prospect, he was either the top or the second best White Sox prospect. Now I have questions because I was confident that he was the best internal right field option for the White Sox. And after these lists come out, Jim, and not seeing his name, I'm worried. Like, am I missing something here? Am I overhyping Oscar Colas? It doesn't seem mutually exclusive. I think he can be the best internal option for right field and still be somebody who needs a little bit of time. I mean, the White Sox did not do anything to right field to insulate uh, themselves against a an, an unfortunate development in right field, whether it's Colas not being able to handle it, whether it's you know big regression or injury for Gavin Sheets, Larry Garcia could factor in way too much again. So yeah, I mean, like that's the reality, and that's why like I've been wanting the White Sox to block him, just like I wanted the White Sox to block Andrew Vaughn. There's no real reason to put such like undue pressure on them to be players who can stick in the lineup right away. Um, I am, you know, I am with you though, in terms of like a little bit surprised um, that, you know, I guess that, you know, some evaluators are maybe not down on him, but maybe not, you know, excited by him. And I think like Keith Law in his chat, he mentioned that uh, Colas is a nice regular without ceiling beyond that. I think he'll be a solid 50, parentheses, average everyday player in right field, but not more. And there's some small chance he's less because he'll probably post relatively low OBPs. So that doesn't sound really 
arguable to me and it doesn't sound necessarily like unfair. It's just, I think, you know, when it comes to Keith law and, and these individual, uh, rankings, you know, like Kylie McDonald's another one who does it by himself. I think it does lend itself to, you know, a, a certain profile being favored and Colas being somebody who doesn't really draw walks or makes makes pitchers work, attacks pitchers before they attack him. Um, some guys might be down in that profile or at least like be really unimpressed with how long it may take for a player to conquer that weakness to where like his impact will be muted. Because Colas was in MOB's top 100. Okay. I'm feeling good. He's in that's, baseball. That's a committee. Yep, that's a committee. He's in Baseball America's Top 100. That's a committee. That's a committee. I, I'm feeling good. This is where I'm like, hey, the White Sox are putting a Top 100 prospect in right field on the opening day roster, Jim. And now Keith Law, whose opinion I respect greatly when it comes to prospects, and Kylie McDaniel, who's taking his lessons learned working from the Atlanta Braves organization and applying it to fan graphs in the past and now over to ESPN. I value both of their opinions and I know this is a conversation that both Mike Rakett and James Fox are going to have more in depth in the Future Sox podcast, and I look forward to that episode. But after seeing these top 100 lists, it, it I have doubt seeping in. I'm I'm thinking aloud here, podcast listeners. Typically, I have my thoughts and my findings more concrete, but I am like waiting in the pool, Jim. Like I I don't know exactly how to feel and think about going in this direction. Like, I don't want the White Sox to break Oscar Colas if he's truly not ready. Yeah, I mean, that's been my doubt the entire time. Is not like there is a very real chance that, like, he can look ready for an everyday job on opening day. It's like his job to lose and give him a shot, see how it goes in April into mid-May. And then, you know, maybe you have to shift gears a little bit to make sure that you're not drowning him. But uh, there's also a chance that, like, you know... Uh, I guess the player I would liken him to is somebody like Avi Garcia, who is just so talented, uh, you know, and Garcia, like he had some problems with the swing to where like he had problems elevating the ball, but he also had a problem like with AAA being too good for the level. Like he hit 351 in AAA, had an OBP above 400 despite his impatience. And it was just like, he was too good bat to ball to learn any lessons. You could try to force him to, uh, you know, take lessons and try to take pitches and, um, you know, try to do things a different way. But if you're succeeding, I imagine it's a lot harder. Like if you can't feel while why you're failing and you can't feel why your stuff isn't working, I imagine it's hard to shift gears at that level. Like I imagine you have to fail once or twice doing it your way before you, you know, changes can really stick if you're that successful at the, at, at the high minors level. And so Colas, he's already done the Japanese, uh, climb up their pro levels. And now he's doing the same in the minors and he's successful so far. So, you know, I can see a case where like, even if he's trying to, um, you know, work on things that the White Sox are trying to instill certain, uh, lessons in terms of like pitch recognition and, you know, trying to wait to see patterns from pitchers and not, uh, I guess, give away at bats with aggression. Like, maybe there's a chance that that can take early on, but given his relative, uh, you know, the veteran experience he has in the minor leagues for somebody who doesn't have that much, you know, American minor league experience. He has a lot of professional experience. I can see it being a, you know, learn as you go type thing, learn by doing, learn by failing. And so, you know, what insurance plans do the White Sox have if it takes a while for him to stick? And that's been my concern. And that's why I wish like he weren't plan A or as good a plan A as they have uh, anywhere else. But uh, if it is that, you know, the, the case where like, he's going to be the guy, I really hope that they do have some kind of caddy system for him. Just so like, if he you know goes over nine with seven strikeouts, they can give him a day off without like it being really clear that they have nothing. The things I've been told to look for when he is with the white Sox and I'm watching him more in the regular is his ability to drive pitches located in the outs outside corner. There's some concerns there. Okay. And his ability to hit quality left-handed stuff. Well, I don't know how quality is stuff that he's seen from the left-hand side when it comes to opposing pitchers at double-A and triple-A. I don't think he's going to find 
quality AAA pitchers who throw left-handed Jim when he's with Charlotte. So yeah, he may just have to learn on the go and I still believe he's going to be on the opening day roster. I still think he's going to be playing the majority of time at right field. And, you know, I literally have money on Oscar Colas to win the American League Rookie of the Year because I think he's got that potential. <laughs> I mean, if he comes in and he hits like he did at Double A with the Chicago White Sox, I'm talking someone that's hitting like 270. And even if he has a 320 on base percentage, if he's slugging 480, that is a big shot in the arm for the White Sox. And I thought that he has this type of potential because he flashed it last year. It's just that some people in the industry that I think highly of and I respect their opinions, don't have them in the top 100 list. And that's why I'm, I'm being honest and transparent with everyone, including you, Jim. Like I'm worried that I'm overhyping Oscar Colas, but it sounds like I might not be. Maybe there isn't anything that I'm missing. And we're all just going to have to learn that Colas is not going to be the White Sox savior this season. And he's going to be learning on the job just like the situation at second base for the White Sox. Yeah, it's it's a risky profile that he has, you know, being as aggressive as he is. We've seen the White Sox or some White Sox succeed with that approach. Um, you know, Tim Anderson, I think his hit tool has really, um, you know, taken massive strides, as we all know, into a 300 hitter. But he had some... Uh, rough years, uh, you know, early on as he tried to figure out like walking a fine line between like, you know, swinging everything, trying to figure out like in, in terms of hitting outside the strike zone, what he could actually do outside the strike zone versus, uh, you know, what was truly unhittable for him. And he, you know, got on top of that. We've seen Yohan Makata uh, battle uh, being patient versus being passive. Like he's on the opposite side of the spectrum. We've seen Luis Robert have like a hot month in a, in a really cold month, just with adjustments being made to him. Like your mean Mercedes, another classic example of somebody had a hot month and then a cold month. And then they found out his kryptonite, uh, which was above average velocity. I don't think Colas has like, you know, based on what I've seen, you know, what I've read and what other people have seen, you know, I, I guess, what I've read is what other people have seen. So kind of redundant, but like, you know, based on various looks, it doesn't seem like he has one weakness, which I think is good. Um, like, you know, hitting quality left-handed pitching, like a lot of major league righties can hit quality left-handed pitching. I think it depends what you mean by quality. If you're talking about like, you know, kind of third uh, starter or better, like, yeah, it's good major league pitching. Why wouldn't he struggle against that right away in his rookie year? Um, but yeah, stuff like, you know, outside corner like it could be a case where like he flies open a little bit or he wants to pull stuff i think i've seen enough uh swings from him like enough variety in his swings to where like he doesn't have to sell out if he doesn't want to it's just more of a matter of like doing damage and is he going to be like treading water and just trying to make sure that he doesn't get overwhelmed and that he's not hitting like you know 170 with a you know 205 OBP, uh-huh. you know, and so is he going to try to just kind of like reach for singles and, and be really conservative or is he going to try to do damage and, and is he going to succeed in doing occasional damage against mistakes, which seems well within reason. So it's a risky profile. So I can see like that. That's why I mentioned committee versus individuals. Like if you are somebody like Keith law, who prefers upside, who might prefer a bit more patience, who prefers prospects on the younger side to have more, uh, you know, forgiveness in terms of physical skills as they age, like, you know, 20 year old can struggle in his age 21 season, still have 22 to look forward to. Whereas Colas, if you're talking about 24 to 25, 26, like that's a little more dicey and injuries mean a little bit more and stuff like that. So I think when you're talking about like ranking prospects against other prospects and you're talking about one guy doing it, Colas could have some specific disadvantages that don't really matter too much in terms of filling out a major league roster spot and being like somebody who is hopefully the third best outfielder and doesn't need to be anything more than just a a sturdy regular in this outfield and doesn't have to hit any higher than sixth. Like, I mean, that's kind of the expectations the White Sox have set for him. And so like, if he's that, that might not be top 100 prospect material for an individual, but that's fine. So I think, you know, it, uh, as he, um, you know, I guess graduates from prospect rankings, all of those um, confines are not going to matter. He's going to shed those trappings and it's going to be just, is he a decent player? And I think that's really something that's going to be easier to, um, you know, a lot more of like a pass fail thing versus, you know, top 100, top 150, top 75, et cetera. 
Well, thank you for entertaining me with this particular topic, Jim, just talking this through. Because it is, it is something that's been swirling in my mind when these top 100 lists come out and I don't see Coloss. And I'm just wondering, am I missing something here? Uh, am I overlooking a flaw that could be a potential negative for the Chicago White Sox and their chances of winning early in 2023? But it sounds like I'm just not missing anything at this moment from what I know from Coloss. And it's just a preference for Keith Law and Kylie McDaniel, their top 100. So, all right, I feel better about that situation. Who the hell is AJ Alexei, Jim? The new pitcher the White Sox just added to the 40-man roster? Like, I have no recollection on who this guy is. He was involved in the U Darvish trade. So <laughs> there's that. So he went from the Dodgers to the Rangers. In the U Darvish trade, like kind of a uh, you know classic Dodger, like you know, third-day draft pick who was good enough to ascend the majors and, you know, get a couple auditions with the Rangers that didn't quite work out. And he seems to me like almost a central casting righty. Like if you're trying to think of like a triple a righty, uh, he would be the guy. Cause he's like, um, you know, six, four. So he's got like a classic starter build, classic ready build. He throws 94, which is an average fastball. He throws a slider, a curve and a changeup, which is all standard pitches. And he throws them in, in, you know, that order. So fastball is more than half the time and then sliders off that. So like, it's, you know, kind of the classic pitch mix. And then also some classic flaws in that he uh, struggles to throw strikes and he also struggles to get lefties out as a right-handed pitcher. Um, and you know, the, the strike throwing has always been a little bit of an issue as he climbed to the minors, but something that's definitely more exploitable or leads to more walks in the majors, because like if he you know can't strike out lefties or he can't like get by with mistakes against lefties as easily than those at bats get longer, he gets more careful and he walks more of those guys. And, and, you know, same thing against righties to a, a smaller degree, but in terms of like what's keeping him from being, uh, rosterable for anything longer than like a cup of coffee as a emergency starter or like a long man on the bullpen to give some innings. It really seems like it's both the you know command, which maybe can be improved to some degree. Um, but then like, it seems like he needs to get something either like a improved change up or a little bit like, you know, more action on the curveball to get lefties off him. Okay. So he is someone that Charlotte needs because Charlotte needs pitchers really yeah. bad. Uh, Okay, so I get that. Maybe a possibility of the White Sox have a doubleheader early in the season and they call up a pitcher that if Alexei's spot was coming up for Charlotte, could we see him be one of those guys that makes an emergency start for the White Sox yeah. during 2023? Yeah, I think so. Like, it wouldn't, you know, he has some experience. He actually set major league history, like a very specific kind of major league history that everybody loves and that he was the uh, first pitcher to allow just one hit in each of his first two starts lasting five or more innings and they lasted five and six innings but yeah like a pair of scoreless outings uh, to start his career and then just kind of regression started whomping on him a little bit but you know he's been there before he's had some success and assuming that you know he's not you know completely off his game and you know walking guys uh you know uh, walking a batter an inning and he's his velocity's not missing a couple ticks like he should be around to like you know hopefully luck into four or five innings for a start, which is always possible. Um, yeah, I think my concern with somebody like Alexi is that Charlotte needs a pitcher like him, but he might not need an environment like Charlotte. Like at this juncture in his career where he's trying to, you know, beat AAA and, and conquer it and stick in the majors in some role, whether it's low leverage innings or swingman, uh, fifth starter for a second division club. Like going to Charlotte and, and you know, having, uh, you know, the uh, hitter friendliest environment in minor league baseball, or at least AAA working against you, you know, every other start basically on average is not what you want uh, for somebody who's on the fringe like that. So, you know, we saw that from Davis Martin last year, who was better in Birmingham uh, than he was in Charlotte, better in Chicago than he was at Charlotte. I think sometimes Charlotte has a way of messing with some guys. And so like, that's my concern with like importing a guy like Alexi is, will there be a system shock from uh, pitching in a, an environment that unfavorable? All right. Well, good to know. So I know more about AJ Alexi. I feel better about Oscar Colas. We're off to a good start here in this episode. Jim and I are going to take a quick break, but coming up next, we're going to chat about 
what the sports books think about the Chicago White Sox as they have released their projected win totals for all of the Major League Baseball teams for the upcoming 2023 season. And there's a new attraction coming to Bridgeport. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so Vegas has released their projected win totals that Anyone in the country that lives in a state where sports betting is legal can place bets on. And this is that time of period, Jim, where Vegas puts out their projected win totals. Dakota for baseball prospectus is going to be releasing their projections for the upcoming season soon. Same thing with fan graphs. And we compile all this and get an understanding of what the computer models think about the Chicago White Sox. So Vegas starts, and there are two different win totals. Caesars has the White Sox win total at 84.5, so you can bet over or under on that total. And then DraftKings Sportsbooks and other sportsbooks as well, it's more popular to find 83.5 wins for the White Sox in 2023. A reminder, last year before the 2022 season, the White Sox projected win total according to Vegas was 91 and a half wins. And when you take that 83 and a half, that puts the White Sox in second place. The books have Cleveland as the American League Central favorite coming into the season at 86 and a half wins and they have the Twins at 81 and a half. So Jim, I'm not asking you over under, but if the Vegas sports model which is created to generate as much money as possible and be convincing enough to have people place bets on either side. When you see 83 and a half wins as the over under, how do you feel about that total? Reasonable. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not a betting man myself, but I do enjoy over unders a little bit in terms of just like helping me think like in terms of if I had to, what would I pick? I wouldn't feel good about putting money on it. And I, you know, that's just, it's not my thing, but at least it's something that helps me crystallize my thinking a little bit. So when I saw the number, I thought like, yeah, that's fair. Like that's, that's pretty good. That doesn't feel obvious. Like it feels obvious if a bunch of best case scenarios hits or not even best case scenarios. Like I would say like, you know, as we talked about with pass fail, like healthy or not, uh, you know, just around or not when it comes to, you know, certain players like Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez, like, you know, the whole thing about 
Jimenez, uh, Anderson, Robert, Moncada uh, not playing in the same lineup. Like, you know, if they play, you know, 100 plus games in the same lineup, then yeah, I think that number feels right slash, you know, easily surpassable. But uh, it does include the risk of them not doing that because they haven't done it. So yeah, kind of in the ballpark to me. And then for the rest of American League Central, the Tigers are at 70 and a half wins and the Royals are down to 69 and a half wins. Hmm. So uh, according to the sports books, they do view the American League Central as a three-team race between Cleveland, the White Sox, and the Minnesota Twins. But right now they are siding with Cleveland, at least with their projected win totals for the upcoming season. And then going around the other divisions in the American League. So the American League East... They have the Orioles at 76 and a half wins. That's last in the American League East. The Red Sox are at 77 and a half. I don't think I necessarily agree with that. I like the Orioles more than the Red Sox right now, Jim. Do you feel the same? Uh, I think the Orioles have better vibes going for them, but I, I also <laughs> think that, you know, the Orioles have had a pretty disappointing offseason. So I can see them just, you know, not having done enough to bolster their gains and then they give some back with regression or injury luck or what have you so i'm a little bit down on the orioles just because it seems like their attention has been elsewhere yeah it looks like they missed an opportunity this offseason i thought they would be a lot more active but the uncertainty in who's actually running the show at baltimore from an ownership suite yeah i think has uh, created some problems but in the top of the american league east they've got the yankees at 94 and a half wins they got the Blue Jays at 90 and a half wins. So there's a gap there between the Yankees and Blue Jays. And they got the Rays at 88 and a half wins. When you move over to the American League West, the Houston Astros have the projected highest win total, according to the books, at 95 and a half wins, a win more than the Yankees. The Mariners are at second in the American League West at 87 and a half. So an eight game difference between the Astros and Mariners. So the Astros are heavy favorites to win the American League West as the defending champions. The Texas Rangers are projected to have 82 and a half wins and the angels at 81 and a half. So the sports books for Vegas think that the American league West could have four teams with above 500 records this upcoming year. And the Oakland A's 60 and a half, which is a pretty <laughs> low total. I, I mentioned all of these because one activity that I like to do to kind of just gauge and where you think the white Sox are, within the confines of the American League, is stacking up the American League. And when you look at over-under win totals, it goes the Astros as the number one seed, the Yankees as the number two seed, the Guardians winning the Central would be the number three seed, and then you have the Blue Jays at number four, the Rays at number five, and the Mariners at number six, and at number seven is the White Sox. But the White Sox are three games below the Guardians' projected win total, and they're four games back of the Mariners, and the White Sox are in like this tier with the Rangers, Angels, and Twins. So at least from the sportsbook perspective, it looks like they've set up three different tiers as far as quality of teams in the American League. Tier 1, Astros-Yankees. Tier 2, Blue Jays, Rays, Mariners, and we could throw in the Guardians. And then the third tier is where the White Sox are with the Rangers, Angels, and Twins. And it feels like that tier is the dark horse tier. Is mm -hmm. that a good fit for the White Sox? It seems like they want that. Um, they didn't handle the favorites uh, mantle too well. So <laughs> given the way that they run their offseason and, uh, you know, the, the the grades that we've been giving them, the, you know, the D to C minus, which was, uh, you know, prior to the Mike Clevenger news. And now that's looking like, you know, the athletic had them as the only F and, you know, it's not necessarily wrong because they just, they made two big signings and only one they can talk about. So that's usually, you know, not a great, you know, I, I, in the one big signing they made and Andrew Benteni replaced one big departure, which was Jose Abreu. So like in terms of, uh, you know, I, I guess positions gained, they didn't really do anything there. So um, it, it seems like they aren't, gunning for attention with the way they've conducted themselves. And then you lose Liam Hendricks and such. So yeah, it does knock them down to, uh, you know, them almost hoping people forgot about them. Uh, the one thing I'm curious about when you mentioned these win totals and like the Royals at 69 kind of jumped out as low to me. Um, but then I realized that this is the balanced schedule or the more balanced schedule uh, mm -hmm. with the uh, AL central teams only playing each other 13 times, I believe versus 19 times. 
And I'm curious for like a team like the Royals or a division like the AL Central, like how that affects wins and losses. I'm curious, like, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, I can feed this to Dan Samborski or something like that when it comes to, um, you know, ideas for fan graphs or, or baseball prospectus. If, uh, talk to people we know there just to see like, are they going to do like a, uh, can they do a simulation for standings for what it would look like if the AL central and other divisions played each other 19 times, just to get an idea of like how we might have to adjust it for a few years until we get used to it. Because that's one thing I can't quite wrap my head around. Um, just how that's going to affect it or like, I'm, feel like I could be running at the risk of overstating it, uh, mm-hmm. saying like, oh, they have to play the, you know, the Astros more. They have to play the Mariners more, or the Yankees. Uh, and then they, they, they can't fatten up on 12 more games, the Royals and Tigers. But like sometimes it doesn't pan out that way. So like I'm not really sure what to do with that. And I'm hoping that one of these simulations will also do that for additional context, context. Yeah, that's a really good point, because that's something that I've been thinking about as well, is how is the balanced schedule going to impact the projections, is it going to prevent teams from inflating their records if they're in a really poor division, right? Like the National League Central is not going to be anything to write about, especially where the state of the teams are with Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. So having 12 fewer games for the St. Louis Cardinals be able to, you know, add to their win total against the Reds and Pirates, does that impact them when it comes to playoff seeding? Later this year, mm-hmm. uh, we we know that could have a pretty big difference between having to be play the six seed or having a buy. And the Cardinals were one of the teams that lost at home uh, as the Philadelphia Phillies shocked them. And we know the Phillies ended up winning the National League pennant in, in the postseason. So I think you raise a good point, And this is something we're all going to be learning on the fly. And I am curious to see where Pakoda and Fangraphs have the White Sox. I've just I've got a feeling that one of those projection systems is going to have the White Sox at like 80 and 82. Mm-hmm. And I can't be surprised if the projection systems say take the under on the White Sox 83 and a half wins, just because I don't know if the projection systems can trust the White Sox health. Well, I think it's the health and also the like to go back to the Colas discussion, like the erratic profiles or like, you know, Michael Kopech, like, what do you make of him? Oscar Colas, what do you make of his play discipline in his rookie year? You know, Mikata, what is he, you know, and just the natural tendency for algorithms to look unfavorably or cast out upon guys who are Babbitt based in their success. So I can see why some projection systems wouldn't be as excited about the White Sox and they're going to have to produce through it. I think what's going to be instructive to me is when Pakoda comes out, uh, their standings come with like these uh, you know, range of projection graphs, uh-huh. like these blobs. And I can imagine like, you know, they, they kind of like, most of them resemble something like a standard bell curve and that like uh, of their thousand simulations or something like that, like most of them end up in this middle range between like, you know, um, like just say like five wins apart or something like that. And then like the, it, it, it uh, dips down rather symmetrically on, on both sides. till so reach, reach an extreme where like, you know, maybe a team simulates for 77 wins and 95 wins based on like all hell breaking loose and everybody hitting on their 80th uh, best projection. But I can see the white Sox having a pretty wide blob. I, I think like not maybe having the peak, that others do, but just having more of a Mesa, like between like, <laughs> like 76 wins and like 88 wins, um, you know, or, or at least a, a, a far gentler slope just because of everything that can go right and everything that can go wrong with what the White Sox have on the roster. And remember when these projection models do come out and we'll repeat this, it's like a thousand computer simulations, like mm-hmm. go to MLB the show or uh, OOTP and simulate the 2023 season a thousand times. And that's how you get this graph. And what they post is the most uh, common outcome out of their thousand simulations of the upcoming season. And uh, I'm curious where they are. But right now, if you're a betting person, the sports books are trying to get you to decide over under on 83 and a half wins for the Chicago White Sox. And I mean, if Vegas is right, 87, 88 wins is what's going to be, what's going to need to take just to make a wild card spot in the American league. And 
you know, we were thinking that if you're going to expand the postseason, that getting into the postseason may only require like 83, 84 wins. Maybe some seasons where a 500 team makes the postseason. But right now, the American League feels top heavy, Jim. Where there are some, there are some strong teams in the top. I mean, I can't blame Vegas if they're saying that the Astros, Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners would win the American League Central over the teams that are in the AL Central. I I would have to agree with them. Those mm-hmm. five teams are better than the White Sox, the Guardians, and the Twins right now. But the Guardians, White Sox, and Twins are in this like sixth best, seventh best, and eighth best situation. Yeah, it reminds me uh, of you know the like quote about poker, but I also think about it a lot with the, just these projections and preseason estimations of just how talent stacks up. And like, if you're looking around wondering where the losses are going to come from in the league, it's you <laughs> just with the white Sox, uh, you know, being unsure. It's like, that's kind of how I look at them right now is like, uh, we saw that, uh, you know, the, the air get knocked out of them. We saw a lot of things get knocked out of them last year and, uh, you know, just they have to prove that, the you know they have the resources both uh talent wise uh you know the the resilience in terms of health and also you know with Pedro Griffal like that you know i think a lot of white Sox fans optimism comes from Tony La Russa being gone uh but it also assumes that Pedro Griffal won't make a bunch of rookie year mistakes that resemble uh somebody like Tony La Russa on the way out which you know could be a case like you know just we don't know anything about Griffal he's kind of a blank slate right now so yeah it's just there's a lot for them to prove and i think it's fair that you know whatever you know i would say anything that comes in like under 84 wins uh, i would say like i would say between like 78 and 84 wins I can say like, yeah, prove it, prove you're better than that. Because, uh, I guess they did like, you know, they finished 500 last year, but they were never really better than a 500 team in any point. And they're probably just like, you know, one bad injury away from being, you know, what 75 wins, 76 wins, like, um, you know, like Jose Abreu going down or something like that to where like, yeah, there's, you know, they are an also ran and that, so they have to prove that they aren't. And here's hoping they do. And again, we're waiting for Picota and Fangraphs to release their projections. And when they do, we'll talk about those projections, write them up about them on SoxMachine.com, and we'll talk about them on the podcast. But this is the first set of the big three, I call it, for projection models going into the 2023 season. Vegas has the White Sox finishing in second place, three games back of Cleveland in their over-under for win-loss total. We're going to end the episode here about a new attraction for White Sox fans coming to Bridgeport. And this has generated a lot of excitement in the neighborhood uh, since the project got kicked off. And that is the Remova Theater. As the Remova Theater is pretty close to the intersection of 35th and Halstead. The theater closed back in 1986 and it just sat there dormant. Nobody was doing anything with it. And then all of a sudden... There has been a group and that group bought the Remova theater and they have worked with the city and they have worked with other facets of the government to get permission to get permits. They've gotten a lot of investor money and they're renovating the Remova theater. And I was lucky enough that they reached out to me and they gave me a hard hat and they told me, Jim, you want to go check out the Remova theater? And I said, hell yeah, let's go ahead. Let's give you a tour and hopefully I don't die falling off a ladder. And uh, <laughs> th- I- I'm pretty excited about this because uh, I-, I know I'm forcing you to come to Chicago for my wedding, which mm-hmm. I- I'm grateful that you are coming. Uh, one oh, of your no, favorite to Chicago. <laughs> one of your favorite bands, though, is going to be playing at the Salt Shed which is going to be in the north side of Chicago. Is that, that's the same weekend, right? Oh, no, it's the weekend before. The weekend Um, before. Yeah, it's the Hold Steady and the Mountain Goats and then Dillinger 4. So basically like three bands I would see on their own are playing together. And the Salt Shed's got a a lot of enthusiasm. That's the old Morton Salt Shed that everybody saw on the highway and that's been turned into a music venue. And that will seat like 4,500. And the Remova Theater... 
on the south side, you have Reggie's, which for those that went, came out to the live event that we had earlier this month with our friends from the 108, thank you for doing that. But Reggie's hosts about like 350 in their big stage. And we were in one of the smaller rooms that seats about 100 to 150 people. And then you got Taya Hall and Pilsen, which can have about 800, 900 people in that theater. The Remova Theater is going to have a capacity of close to 1,700 in their new music venue that they are renovating, gutting out, installing new balconies, and installing a new stage, and state-of-the-art sound and lighting. And just from that perspective, as a big music fan, Jim, like 1,700, like what kind of bands do you think you get? Like would big acts go to a theater that small, or is that still large enough to an intimate, I guess, type of setting for music acts? Uh, I mean, that's that's sizable. I'm looking up to see like what the Ryman Theater capacity is uh, in Nashville. That's like the most storied um venue in Nashville and the Ryman is 2300. So a little bit more, but you know, not in the same range and the Ryman draws pretty much anybody that wants to play it. Um, but like Wilco, I think like could play there like so a band on that tier. Okay. They, uh, they're also going to have an upstairs stage. So the remote theater, that's going to be this big music theater. Uh, and they, they have plans to do some special film screenings as well at the theater and they're going to bring a whole bunch of different acts coming in. So this is something that Bridgeport doesn't have. They don't have a big theater like this. There's going to be an upstairs stage and the capacity at the upstairs stage is 200 people. And this instantly as I climbed up the ladder to go to the second floor. I instantly thought about us, Jim, like it is the perfect room for our live podcast. There's going to be two bars up there and we can have double the amount of people that we usually have at the live events and better sound system and an actual stage to be at instead of just sitting on bar chairs in the middle of the room. And Mm -hmm. I I got really excited uh, looking at the upstairs stage and can't wait to to host a live event there. And it's going to be above a new tap house that they're going to have. And that's got like 120 person capacity. The brewery, which I know has been of great interest is big going to be house. <laughs> well, there it's the not return big. Of the big herd. Bar- <laughs> That'd be awesome. I, I, I know, I know who it is. I am not going to say who it is, but I will tell you it is not the big herd brewery. <laughs> I, I saw an article in the New York times talking about how malt liquor is making comeback. And I was like, Oh man, Frank Thomas was ahead of his time. He was, I can't believe that was malt liquor. Like, what, What's the thinking behind that? <laughs> It's been hurt. I, think, I mean, like it makes sense. It's uh, like the, uh, um, yeah, the, the SNL commercial for cold cock uh, malt liquor that just like punches <laughs> you in the face. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very literal. I think his brewery was in Cicero, wasn't it? Uh, Berwyn. 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 So the new tap house, 120 person capacity, the guys that run the duck in a fantastic res- restaurant in Bridgeport. They're bringing back the Remova diner. And the Remova Theater is also going to have an outdoor beer garden. And again, all of this is happening on 35th and Halstead. And Jim, I I know that you moved away, but Mm -hmm. someone that grew up in Downers Grove and going to White Sox games, you know, the argument has been there's nothing to do post game. You get on the train. If you live on the north side or if you live in the suburbs, you go to the stadium after the game. You just go to the train station. Some people go to Cork and Cary. Some people go to Turtles, but not many people go west over to Halstead and go to Wayne's and Reigns. And that's pretty much all you've got when it comes to nearby bars, especially with Charlotte's Pump been sitting empty for years as uh, the family did not continue that place of business. But you know, the, the the arguments against folks out of town visiting Chicago rather go see the Cubs and the White Sox is because of Wrigleyville and look at all the things that Wrigley's got. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with this particular project to remove a theater once it's completed and they're hoping to be done by August of 2023, so in about six months here, that ho- finally the south side of Chicago can start building up what the north side has had and that could be a draw for out-of-towners or just diehard White Sox fans wanting to continue hanging out. 
Yeah, I think it's probably more for locals just to like, I remember Scholar's Pump, I, it took forever for me to go there. And then once I went there, I went there every time, basically, every time I went to a game, I just park there. And it was my, you know, it was like an ideal kind of bar for me. Like the, the service is great. You see Jack Schaller at the corner of the bar every time, like, just like, yeah, this is, this is what you want, you know, for going to a Chicago ballpark. It's not like as close as, you know, all the Wrigleyville bars are to Wrigley Field, but it's like, that's, that's kind of what I want from experience of like going to a neighborhood to go to a ballpark is having some of that neighborhood there. And so, yeah, like every time I'd walk by there and you'd pass by the, the facade of the Roma, Romova theater, like, yeah, I, I was, I thought like, Oh, it's a shame that that went to disarray. Cause you, know, you just figure it's going to get knocked down, you know, some kind of urban renewal project or something like that lofts go up. And so I'm happy to see that they're restoring it because it's, you know, you don't really get those back when you knock them down. You just have to hope that you build something that ages as well. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned duck end because I have some family, you know, distant family ties. Like my dad's cousin son, I believe is, uh, you part of that crew in the duck end. And so I've been there a few times and it's great. So that's exciting on, a, on both a, uh, fan of, you know, good establishments, but also like, Hey, I know that guy <laughs> So looking forward to that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's good news. And I'm hoping you'll tell me about the brewery after we're done recording. Yes. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Jim wants the <laughs> off the record. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, you may know them. So I, 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 I'll gauge what Jim has to say off the record, but I, okay. I'm hyped. I'm really excited because I I do think, you know, just even like from our perspective, I love Reggie's and Reggie's has been great to us. And if there's ever socks fest again, and if socks fest is still in the South loop, that Reggie's makes the most sense in the world to have our after parties. But when we're doing these live events, it it just seemed to get bigger and bigger or we sell out so damn quick. I, I feel like, in our past live event, we sold out in two days. We had a hundred people mm-hmm. there and then people realized, Oh, I had no idea that you were having this. This sounds amazing. I want to go. I'm sorry. We sold out. Like we could easily have double the amount of people. And I get that our friends from the 108, they, they look at that and they like the intimate feel, but I'm so excited for the remote theater because this new upstairs stage combines, you know, the, expanded capacity that we're looking for and it's still intimate there's going to be two bars so it's going to make it a lot easier for people to get drinks i'm really excited because it's hard to find rooms like this in chicago especially on the south side where we can do cool things like live podcasts and live events yeah especially like it's a room that uh you can grow in like there are some things where like you hit your capacity, like a hundred person room. And then like, you know, it's, you, you kind of get an in-between phase to where like, you know, it's cost prohibitive to go bigger or you have to like, you know, um, run the risk of like having to eat money because all of a sudden, like you're filling like, you know, a third of a, a room that's uh, too big for you. And like, it's, yeah, I would say we're like any, um, you know, touring musicians uh, who have to wrestle with the same thing. I think there's very little separating our art from theirs. So I think it's fair to say. Uh, but uh, that's kind of how I look at it. It's just like, it's, you know, when you look at room capacities, like you're going from 100 to 200 is natural. Going from like 100 to 800 is like, no, yeah. can't do that. So yeah, <laughs> this room, it feels like uh, when you mentioned the capacity is like, yeah, hopefully it works out well. And I'm glad that, you know, uh, the, the relationship is starting early because uh, it does seem like you can, you know, midweek things for like you know, impromptu or like more, you know, I guess if, if we want to do like a regular thing on a slow night for them, like, cool, you know, like that's possible. Uh, if we want to do something, uh, uh, you know, larger, like a big, big event, like, you know, 108 day or Sox Fest, like there's room for that too. So yeah, it'd be nice to have a, a, you know, if not a permanent home, at least something that uh, is a natural first uh, call and then go from there. Yes. Yeah, so again, the Remova theater, 35th and Halstead, uh, they got their last permit that they needed from the city. So they're going to go light speed when it comes to the renovations and getting things installed. And they are targeting for August of 2023. So before the end of the 2023 regular season. And I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty hyped because I think this is going to be a nice shot in the arm, especially for that Halstead corridor 
in Bridgeport. And again, it's like a six, seven minute walk from guarantee rate field. So really close to the stadium for white Sox fans, uh, to enjoy. And, uh, yeah, I I'm really excited, really excited. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to be open, transparent uh, with you guys about Oscar Colas. I really enjoyed that conversation with Jim. And if you had any doubts as well, hopefully uh, those got eased just like myself. And you learned about who AJ Alexei is. And who knows, maybe you're running to the sports book to hit the over on the White Sox. Win total of 83 and a half wins for the upcoming season. But if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple and Spotify. We take the recordings and also upload them to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. Last I looked, we were at 997 subscribers. So we're three subscribers <laughs> shy of a thousand. So if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so as we're so close to that milestone, you can find us at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you would like more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. As our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag in the new Socks Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. And there could be some exclusive content coming up, Jim, as we have spring training and prospect week is going to be arriving soon at Sox Machine. I know the future Sox guys are working on their new top 30 list and you have some work in store as well uh, for Sox Machine. I have some work cut out for me. (laughs) Yes. And yeah, if you're a Patreon supporter at the... uh three war tier above who uh, you know, can contribute PO Sox questions. I will be posting a prospect week uh, PO Sox. Not so much a PO Sox, but more like any questions about guys as I write about them, I will try to address them. Or, you know, if you have prospects you want to make sure I mention somehow, uh, let me know and I'll figure out a way to work them in. I assume you won't be like going completely off uh <laughs> off uh, the the radar and going for like a 26 year old in a ball uh, who is filling out a roster i assume you're, we're talking about prospects prospects but uh if you challenge me i will try to do it all right so challenge jim again you can sign up at patreon.com socks machine where monthly plans start at two dollars so you could save with an annual subscription the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. you're over all things chicago white Sox baseball and part of the blue wire podcast network Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.